So we are glad that you're here on this very important big day in the life of Harvest Point. And uh, before I share a lot, I want to take just a, a little, a few um, uh, moments of personal privilege, if that's okay today. You know, this is Consecration Sunday. Next week is grand opening. We're going to do the ribbon cutting. We're going to do the big photo and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and I'm going to take a little bit of a, a little personal moment uh, next week as well. But today, I'm just going to take just a few moments, if you don't mind, because I want to acknowledge some folks. And if you will, after I acknowledge them, I'm going to talk about them, and then I want you to say thank you to them, all right? So the first person I want to acknowledge this morning is a, is a pastor of mine. He's my pastor, and that's uh, Reverend Richard Wynn. Richard's going to be praying for us. Richard, would you stand up for a minute? You already know Richard. He's filled this pulpit. Richard is larger than life, and he can fill a pulpit and fill it mighty well. But what I want you to understand about Richard is that Richard is a pastor of pastors, a shepherd of shepherds, and he oversees a hundred some odd churches here around this Griffin area. And Richard, we are, we are really super happy that you're here with us in worship today, and super happy that you're going to be taking part in our consecration prayer at the end of this service. Uh, sitting right next to him is Phil Schrader, and I want to ask Phil to stand up for a minute. Phil is a dear colleague of mine. Phil, thank you so much. Hey, Phil leads the Office of Church Development, Congregational Development. That stands for OCD. He's, he's the OCD office. And um, I serve with him on that team. Phil is a, he is a warrior. He, listen, this is what you need to know. Phil is on the front line of planting churches, and that's an exciting thing. And uh, Phil, thank you, Phil. Thank you, Phil, for what you do. And I will also add that, um, you know, his team actually gave us uh, the money to renovate our youth lodge, which is not open yet, but it's going to be open very shortly from now, our youth lodge for all of our student ministry and our college ministry, and we thank them for that. Um, I didn't know if Clay Jacobs was here. I think Clay, Clay, are you in here? Clay is going to be with us next week at our grand opening, and we'll welcome Clay then as well. How about Nancy Young-Hrushka? Where are you at, Nancy? Nancy, good to have you with us. <laughs> Nancy uh, helped us. She's with the Georgia Methodist Foundation. She helped us do a capital campaign called Homeward Bound here for the last three years, raised more than a half a million dollars, and we thank you because you're a part of this body. You, you just kind of, you're part of us. Thank you for having our DNA in you. Thank you for being here today. I did not strategically place them, but I did plan on talking about them. Sitting right in front of Nancy is Paul and Beth Taylor. And I just want Paul and Beth to stand up for a minute. Paul, thank you guys. We love you all. Paul led the team uh, here at Harvest Point for Homeward Bound. He led that team very successfully to help us get ready to build. And I'll never forget sitting in a meeting and Paul saying, we've got to get this thing started. He said, let's call it foundations or something, but we've got to take an offering. We've got to get ready to build. Uh, we didn't call it foundations. We called it Homeward Bound. But they came out of Paul, and it was that vision, it was that leadership, and Paul, we thank you. Also, I don't know where he's at, but I wanted to honor Gary Anderson. Is he around this place anywhere? Gary, would you stand? Gary and Carol, both y'all stand up. I see you. I see you, Luke. Jace, the whole Anderson family, we owe a lot to y'all. But I just want to, Gary, you got to stand up one more time. Gary has been working on our building program around here for 10 plus years. 
He has, I've known these guys for more than 25, counting in, count in my bed last night, more than 25 years I've known these people. I knew them before I ever came to this area to plant. Gary has invested generously. He has worked. He has prayed. He has planned. And you may or may not know this, but building number two for us, phase two, is already finished, been green-lighted by the county. It's all ready to go. All we got to do is raise the money because of the work of Gary Anderson. And by the way, if you want to write a check, we'll go ahead and start building it, all right? Um, another person I wanted to honor today is Randy Lord. Randy, are you in this place somewhere? Where are you at? Uh, Randy Lord, Randy and Meredith. <laughs> Randy, you're over in the dark zone. We got you in the dark over there. But I just wanted to point Randy out for a minute because Randy, we, a few weeks ago, we honored the core teams that helped start this church, and we gave them a gift. And Randy, we have a gift for you. Thank you for being a part of this body, the sacrifice, the obedience, the faith to, to plant a church for Jesus Christ. We love you, man. Thank you for that. And uh, I also asked Ben and Sherry Stutter to be here. Sherry is one, she, she actually helped plant this church, but now she's a part-time local pastor for us. But they couldn't come today. Anyway, they were at Mickey Mouse World. So, uh, so they're not here. We have a gift for them. And, um, and I didn't know if Scott and Amy Clemens were here today. Are they anywhere here? I don't see them. Maybe they'll be here at the grand opening. We'll honor them. And, and then one last uh, voice that I just I, I wanted to, to uh, honor today, and that's Chris Martin, the builder of this building, our contractor. Chris, would you stand up for us? Chris, thank you so much. A job well done. Chris is one of the church builders in Henry County. And, and let me tell you, you just want to get real quick uh, a bio on, 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 on Chris Martin. He is on time. He is on budget. He is no drama. Churches like those three things. On time, on budget, no drama. That's what I'm talking about. And let me just say one more thing. He understands that when he builds a church for Jesus Christ, it's to the glory of God. He's a godly Christ follower. Thank you, Chris, for what you've done in building our church for us. Wow. Well, thank you for those moments of personal privilege. Let's study God's word together. Can we do that? Uh, inside your worship guide this morning, you'll find an outline. And here at Harvest Point, we always take notes when we study God's Word. The most important things uh, that will be on your paper, though, might not be the points up on the screen. They might be the whispers of God that He would whisper to you that you'd write down on the, in the margin of those notes. So I invite you to take notes as we study God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at, at uh, what God was doing in the Bible when He called churches to build sacred Spaces. Now, a few weeks ago, I preached on one passage from Exodus, and I'll talk a little bit about that this morning. But today, I want to talk to you about what we are doing in this place as we consecrate this building to the Lord. Now, some folks, listen, you can't, even Jesus couldn't please all the people, right? I mean, some folks will just never be pleased, and then you start to get ready to build, some folks will get mad about that. They'll say, man, buildings, I mean, you could have spent that money doing ministry, or you can do the poor, and, and, you're, and, and yeah, you're right. But what, what, what we've learned here at Harvest Point is when you don't have a building, you spend a lot of money leasing on hotel rooms, basically. You spend a lot of money on leases and rent payments, and a lot of that money could go when you, once you've built like this. Believe it or not, our lease, our mortgage on this place is, is less than a lease, and we would have been paid in another place. We're going to be able to do more ministry now. And the question I want to study in the Scriptures with you is, what was God up to? When God was inviting and challenging and commanding His people to build sacred structures for Him. So we're going to begin in the book of Exodus because the very first time God ever said to anybody, I want you to build, was in the book of Exodus. And in the book of Exodus, now you know the Exodus story, right? 
I, I, it might be debatable, but Exodus is the most important book in the Old Testament. It is the book of the story of the deliverance of the people of God. You know that story, right? When Moses hears the call from the burning bush and he goes and, and he tells Pharaoh to let God's people go. They've been in captivity. It's a huge story. You know the story. The plagues happen and, and finally Pharaoh lets the people go and they, they walk on dry, land, dry ground across the Red Sea and they move out into the wilderness and they get the commandments of God. It's a big, big deal. And after they've been out there, did you know, um, when, let me kind of refer back to my notes for a minute because we're going to read a couple of scriptures together. In, in the book of Exodus, the first 15 chapters are all of that story, that story that we know so well, the first 15 chapters. But the last 15 chapters of that very important book are all about a sanctuary that God commanded Moses to build. In Exodus, the Bible says in Exodus uh, uh, chapter uh, 25, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. By the way, that was the first capital campaign, Nancy, right there. Bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering from me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give and then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. A few weeks ago, I preached about that passage and one of the things that we studied was when God was commanding the people to build him a sanctuary, it wasn't for him, it was for them. It was so that they would have a place to go and connect in with God. So for the last 15 chapters of the book of Exodus, God tells Moses exactly how to build this, this tabernacle, this sanctuary. He tells them the, the colors of the curtains to put in there. He tells them the furniture to put in there. He tells them how high to build the walls. He tells Moses exactly how he wants this thing built. And the people of God build it. And then the, the glory of God fills it. And the tabernacle becomes this moving sanctuary that they take with them as they go following after God. The next time we, we hear God, uh, by the way, I wanted to read all the scriptures about how God tells his people to build. I couldn't do it. There's more than 600 verses in the Bible about how many times God says, I want you to build for me. The next time God tells uh, a person to build, it's actually while that person is praying. The, you remember David? The, the guy who was the shepherd, the guy who was the giant killer, the guy who became the, the king of Israel during the glory days that was called the golden age of Israel. David is praying, and while he's praying, he gives this heart cry to God, and he says, God, I want to build something far greater than that tabernacle. I want to build a temple for you. I want to build a temple where people would look at it and they'd be drawn to it, and I want to build a temple where your name would be found, and people would go there and find forgiveness of their sins. And God hears David, and God says, David, I, I, I think that's an honorable request, but you are a man of war. You've conquered many nations. You're a man of bloodshed, and I will allow you to raise the money for it, to make the plans for it, to, to get all the furnishings for it, and, but I won't let you build my temple. That has to be somebody else. And so David, read that scripture. David plans for his Solomon to be the one. And in 1 Chronicles 22, 5, David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced and the house, of, the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. And so David made extensive preparations before his death. His death. Did you know in 1 Chronicles, the entire last nine chapters of that book 
are given to David working to prepare for his son Solomon to get ready to build. It talks about the timbers that he got. It talks about the money he raised. It talks about the sacrifices he made and that he invited the other people to make. The last nine chapters of the book of First Chronicles are all about David getting ready. But then Solomon becomes king, and God allows Solomon to take all the preparations of David and then build a beautiful temple, a magnificent, a temple of splendor to the glory of God. And read that scripture. And it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, by the way, the first seven chapters of the book of 2 Chronicles are given to how Solomon was working with the people to build this temple. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated, the silver, the gold, the furnishings, and he placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. And if you keep on reading there, they dedicated, they consecrated the temple. We're going to read some of that passage this morning. And the glory of God filled that place. So over and over again, God is inviting his people to build sacred structures so that he can dwell in those places, but he can meet people. Now, if you know the story, uh, that, that place is able to serve the people of God for 400 years. Years that temple Solomon built. People come to that temple and they find the presence of the Lord. People come to that temple and they find forgiveness of their sin through their sacrifices. But 400 years after Solomon builds it, the Babylonians come and they completely destroy that temple. They capture the nation of Israel and they take them away as captives. And for a season of time, a, a significant season of time, the people of God are away in a foreign land. And then finally, a king uh, uh, arises and he allows them to start coming back in remnants. You remember this story, don't you? In the latter part of the Old Testament, we get this, the, the books of, of Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, of, of Nehemiah, about how uh, about uh, the, the, the recovery from Nebuchadnezzar's uh, rule and his, his, uh, his slavery that he put upon Israel. And they come back and they rebuild the walls of Israel. But they don't rebuild the temple. They actually take the resources that were given to them by foreign and Persian kings. They actually take the resources and they, they build their own houses. And there's no temple. There's no temple in Jerusalem until two prophets stand up and say, this is wrong. We must rebuild the temple. And so they rebuild a, a shadow of the former temple. They build a temple that is there. And that temple stands until right before Jesus. And then Jesus is born, and who comes into power but a man named Herod? And Herod is an overseer, and Herod wants to make a name for himself, so Herod, he makes a command. He says, here's what's going to happen. That temple that's not really a glorious temple, we're going we're to take it apart brick by brick, and we're going to build the greatest temple that's ever been on the planet for Yahweh. Now, Herod's not the most godly man. He's really doing this for other reasons altogether. But as they begin to rebuild this beautiful temple, even greater than the temple that Solomon built, it's during that time that Jesus is born. Now Moses might have been a little bit confused. Maybe David and Solomon, but not Jesus. I mean, you think Jesus might think sacred structures are important? What did Jesus think about buildings? Maybe you remember for Jesus when he was, uh, one of the only stories we have when Jesus was a little boy. Remember that story? He was 12 years old. 
And his mom and dad, it's the Passover time, which is interesting because we just got through talking about that Egypt story, right? It's the Passover, and they take Jesus, who's only 12, they take Jesus to that beautiful temple that's even under construction. And they're worshiping that temple. And they have this great festival, the Passover festival. And then as they're going home, you remember the big caravan, they're going home. Um, Mary looks at Joseph. You remember this story? Mary looks at Joseph and says, hey, where's Jesus? Did you get him? You know, and, and Joseph looks at Mary. This is every parent's story, right? Every parent's nightmare. Uh, Joseph looks at Mary and says, I, I ain't got him. You got him. And then it's not in the scriptures, but you can almost hear an audible shriek from Mary, you know. Oh, no, we left Jesus in Jerusalem. They've been gone for days been gone for days so they rush back to Jerusalem and they search everywhere they don't search one day they don't search they begin to search multiple days trying to find Jesus and nobody looks in the temple and they go to the temple and there he is and Jesus interestingly enough is kind of teaching the smart people you know and Jesus is asking them great questions and Joseph and Mary come up to him and they they say you I'm gonna say it my way you've been driving us crazy where you been and Jesus, remember that scripture? I just, Jesus said, didn't you know where I would be? Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? You know, guys, Jesus saw the temple of God as a very sacred place for him. I'm so blessed, and I meant to. I just got so many things on my mind today. I meant to mention that I have my family here from Augusta, Georgia today. And um, I'm just going to pause for a minute. If they would stand up for a minute. Would y'all all stand up for just a minute? Josh, Kathy, Marin, Jean, Johnny, Patty, Andrew, Adam, thank y'all so much for traveling. I meant to honor them earlier. My mama's in worship. That ain't happening every week. Yay. Yeah, she's always in worship in Augusta, but not here. But my mind right now goes back to a, a, a church on Lumpkin Road in Augusta, Georgia called Burns United Methodist Church. It's a church I grew up in. And when I was a little boy, I, I went to that place. And I was taught the stories of Jesus in that place. And, and, and I, we did pancake breakfast for Easter uh, Sunday morning, you know. And, and it was in that place that I went on retreats. And it was in that place that I gave my life to Jesus. And it was in that place that I, I received a call to follow Jesus. And I, my mind, even as I'm thinking about Jesus in his temple takes me back to, as a 12-year-old boy, going to my own church and realizing that was my father's house and it was where I received instruction and encouragement. I was built up in the faith. And so when Mary and Joseph, they go and find Jesus, Jesus said, didn't you know that I would be here? This is my father's house. You see, Jesus understood that sacred structures have a way of connecting people in with God. Maybe you remember, uh, let's just fast forward for a minute. Do you remember at the end of Jesus' life, when Jesus is entering into, on that Palm Sunday, which we're going to celebrate in just a couple weeks, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the donkey, and where does he go? When he's coming to town for the past, where does he go? He goes to the temple, remember? He goes to the temple, and, and maybe you remember in that place, they're, they've got marketers everywhere, and they're selling things. And he goes in that place, and he, he, he builds himself a whip, and he drives them out of the temple because he is zealous for God's house. He drives them out, and he says those words. He says, that, that my father has said, my house will be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. And then every day in the last week of Jesus' life, he goes back to that temple, and he teaches there about the kingdom of God. Jesus understood 
that sacred spaces have a way of connecting people in with God. How about the disciples? Remember when Jesus was crucified and then he rose again and the disciples, they were, they were fearful until all of a sudden they met him and they touched him. And then you won't be quite fearful anymore when you meet a man who's been dead and put in the grave, right? They were infused with, by the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit and they began to boldly proclaim. And what did the, the Bible says that every day they met in the temple, Acts chapter 2. Every day they began to go back to the temple and proclaim that Jesus is alive. Guys, uh, this is so important. Get your pen. Let me, just, let me just extrapolate a little bit out of all these verses about what God has done in building sacred structures for His glory. And what, what can we learn about those buildings and what they teach us about what, what God thinks about those buildings? The first thing is that whenever God calls us to build sacred structures, those buildings have a way of drawing people to Him. Those buildings do that, and the people in those buildings do that, and the messages out of those buildings do that. That's what God thinks about those buildings. And he told his people to build buildings for that reason, that people would be drawn to his glory and to his name. Another thing we learn, I think this is very important, another thing we learn about what God thinks about buildings and the way the scriptures are written is that whenever we build, they should be done with excellence. Because God says it's... They, they, his, his name is on those buildings. And I'm so proud. I think we have tried to build a very excellent uh, functional space here for what God wants to do in this place. But it's very clear. When, when God expects his people to build, he wants them to build with excellence because it is about his splendor and his fame, not about them, right? It ain't about them. It's about him, right? And here's another thing we learn, that when, when we build buildings that are to the glory of God and they are sacred spaces, that those buildings become a place where God is able to work in people's lives, in their hearts, and in their minds in those places. And, and you know, I, I've experienced that, and I bet you've experienced that. And sometimes it's in a Bible study. Sometimes it's in a youth retreat or, or a women's retreat. Sometimes it's, in, it's in, a, in a sermon or it's in a song. In those places, in those sacred spaces that we have, in those sacred spaces, God has a way of, in those spaces, working in people's hearts and his mind. Well, earlier this year, I, knowing that we were going to come to these times, I, I purposed again, like I said before, I was going to pick up my Bible and I was going to read every verse in the Bible about sacred spaces, more than 600 of them. And I got to one place and I got stuck. I just want to be quite honest with you. I had read it before, but now after building a building, it, it absolutely captivated me. It, I got stuck. And I was, it was like I was there. Have you ever read the Bible and it was like you were there in that moment? God just kind of transported you back and you could envision and, and, and imagine and see it. And this morning, uh, let me tell you what that scripture was. And, and, and it was back when Solomon, on a Sunday, on a day just like this, Solomon was dedicating and consecrating the temple that they had built. And, and the passage in, in 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 6, and 7, if you've got your tablets, you've got your Bibles, I invite you to kind of turn there with me. 2 Chronicles 5, 6, and 7, the temple is finished. And Solomon is just like this. I mean, the temple is ready. And, and Solomon, the Bible says, builds a huge platform in Jerusalem. And he invites everybody and anybody who will come. And he says, come, come to the temple. We're going to dedicate it back to the glory of God. And so the people come. They come in droves and they gather around. And, 
And a few things happen. I just want to kind of tell you about these moments. A few things happen in chapters 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And, the, and I think there's something we can learn even about how Solomon prays his prayer of consecration. The first thing that happens is that they give all a sacrifice. They give an offering to God. As soon as they arrive, they all give an offering to God, which is kind of neat. We already gave an offering to God, didn't we, today? Isn't that awesome? They give an offering to God, and then they begin singing. And what do they sing? The Bible says in uh, 2 Chronicles 5, uh, verse 5, they begin singing, The Lord is good, His love endures forever. Right? Isn't that beautiful? We sing that kind of song, that, that kind of anthem around here all the time. The Lord is good, His love endures forever. And then um, Solomon stands up in front of them, and he raises out his hands like this, and he begins to bless the people. He begins to bless the people of God, to pour a blessing over their lives. And, and he begins to uh, then, out of that prayer of blessing, he falls to his face and he begins to pray a prayer to God. Got your pen? I just want to note a couple of things. The first thing that he does is he thanks God. The first thing he does, he thanks God. He says, God, you... You keep your promises to a thousand generations. You have kept your promises. You've been faithful all the way through. He says, thank you, God, that you are a faithful God. I just wonder today, I wonder what you have to be thankful for. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Has God been faithful to you? God has been faithful to us, guys. And, and Solomon was, was giving thanks because he's seen his daddy. He's seen his daddy survive war after war after war. He's seen the kingdom of God expand across the planet. And now he's living in a time of peace. And, and he's just seeing the favor of God. And he just looks back over his life and over his family's life and over the people of God's life. And he says, God, we owe thanks to you for how you keep your promises. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. And then after he gives God thanks for keeping his promises, you can find that in verse uh, verse. Uh, verse 6 through 9 of that fifth chapter. Then he gives praise. He gives praise to God. And he says, he says something like this. He said, Lord, in, in verse, uh, in verse uh, 15, 14, he says, Lord, there is no God like you in heaven or earth, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants who worship you wholeheartedly. And then he goes on to say, there's not a building that can hold you. You're greater than the highest of all the heavens. But God, will you really dwell with humans? You're bigger than any building we could ever make. And so he's praising God because God's so big. He's saying, God, thank you for being big. But then after that praise, he begins to ask God for some stuff. The first thing he asks for is he asks for God's eyes to be on this temple. He says, God, I want you to look down, and whenever you look down on this earth, I want your eyes to see this temple and see the people who are coming to this temple. Let your eyes be on us. Verse 20, may your eyes be open towards this temple day and night, the place of which you said you would put your name. So, so Solomon is asking the Lord, Lord, let your eyes be on this place. See what happens around here. Take notice. You with me? The next thing he asked for is he asked for God's ears. Now, he does this over and over again, over and over and over and over again. He begins to say this prayer that has kind of a rhythm to it, and he begins to ask that God would hear from heaven. Starts in 
in verse 21 and then in verse 22 and verse 23. He says, when this happens, God, hear what's going on in this place. It starts by him saying, Lord, when, when, when we wrong one another around here, I like the way he says it. He says, when we wrong one another, when we hurt our neighbor, interestingly enough, he doesn't say, if we hurt one another, or if we hurt our neighbor. No, he knows, we, he, we're, hey, we're in a broken world. We're broken people, right? We will hurt each other. And, and so Solomon said, Lord God, when we hurt one another as neighbors, and then we are coming to ask for healing and forgiveness, would you hear from heaven and would you forgive your people? And he goes on with another win. And here he says, Lord, when, when, when the crops won't grow, when the rain won't fall because we've sinned, when you won't pour out your blessings and we can't get any crops to come our way, when that happens, and it's going to happen because we're going to sin and you're going to judge us, God, when it happens and your people turn back to you, would you hear from heaven? Would you hear your people crying out their prayers of, of asking of forgiveness? And would you come and forgive them? He talks about marriages. He talks about families. He says when, when marriages are hurting, when families are hurting, when people are needing forgiveness, when it happens that they are broken families and they come to your temple, would you hear them crying out for healing? And wholeness. And if you have, uh, I, I, I'm telling you guys, I got caught here. I just got stuck in this chapter. And, and I just started reading time after time as he's praying, when this happens, God, when this happens. He even says, God, listen to this. I like this one. He says, when a foreigner comes to this temple. Now get this, get this. He's saying when somebody that's not a Jew, when somebody that's not a person from Israel when a pagan person comes to this temple, oh God, because it's going to happen. This is a glorious place. It's beautiful. When, when somebody who's far away from you comes to this place, would you hear any prayer they offer? And would you come and touch them, God, and bring healing and forgiveness to them? What a glorious prayer. He is saying, God, I, I let, let, let recap this. He says, thank you, God. You're so faithful. You've blessed me. He says, I, I praise you because you're bigger than a building, but you just use a building. Your presence shows up in a building like this, God. You're, you're so big. Then he goes on, he says, I ask for your eyes. Would your eyes be on this place? See what happens around here so that, so that when, God, they are here, you see them. And would you let your ear, would you let your ear hear any prayer, any, any soft prayer, any, any, any desperate prayer? Would you let your prayer be heard in this place? And would you respond? Now, here's the cool thing, right? I'm going to get to the climax. I've been waiting on this one. I'm with you, Marianne. <laughs> there is a scripture that you can drive down the road and you can see on bumper stickers. And some people memorize it by heart, but they don't even understand the context of it. All right? And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want to read it for you. They dedicate the temple. They have a great feast. They all go home. <laughs> in a little while, you're all going to be going home, right? They all, amen. They're all going home. All right, they all go home, and you know what Solomon does? Solomon goes to his, his, uh, his palace, he gets on his knees before God, and then he and God have a little one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> Listen to what God says to him in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Here's that famous passage. You probably heard it before. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will... What's that word? Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. This isn't like a... This isn't like a, 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 the, out of context, like this. God just spoke this to a prophet or something. God spoke this to Solomon after he had prayed, God, let your eyes see what happens here. Let your ears hear what happens here. And God says, listen, anytime, any, any place, any year from here on out, I'm going to give them my ear. Now listen to the rest of it, because this is the part that people don't even follow along. This is the best part. They miss it. He says, now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Lord, I'm claiming that today here for Harvest Point, all right? And then he says this. He says, you get the eyes and the ears. He said, I have chosen and I have. What's that word? I have chosen and I have consecrated. That means dedicated towards sacred, right? I have chosen and I have consecrated this temple so that my name, may be there forever. My eyes and my, what's that word? Heart, Heart will always be there. I, got, I, got, I just got caught here, guys. Solomon prays for the eyes and the ears of God. And he goes home, and you know what God says to him? You got my eyes. You got my ears. You got my heart. He prays for the eyes and the ears of God, and he gets the heart of God. Can I just talk to mamas and daddies for a minute? Just want to talk to you. You want a great way to pray for your kids? I was thinking about my mom, who now has grandchildren that live not just in different cities, but now in different states. How does she pray for her family? You want a great way to pray for your family, mamas and daddies? Follow that little, that little step, that little progression that Solomon prayed. Thank God for how faithful he's been to you. Thank him that he's been faithful and kept all of his promises. Pray that over your children, that thankfulness over that God's done for you. And here's something you ought to do. Praise God for how he's great and he can watch over your kids when you ain't around them. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Praise God for how big He is, that He's bigger than you and He's bigger than your home, and He can look after your kids and lead them the right way. And then how about this? How about ask God for His eyes over your children and over your grandchildren? How about ask God for His ears, that when, when your children and your grandchildren begin to cry out to Him, that He hear it, that He hear it, and that He'd respond. And I guess what I'm just suggesting here today is maybe... Maybe if you thank him, maybe if you praise him, maybe if you ask him for his eyes and his ears, maybe you'll get his heart too. I think that's what happens, guys. And, and see, I'm asking that for this church. Today, is, in just a few minutes, we're going to be praying a consecration prayer. And you know what we're asking for today? We are asking for the eyes and the ears of our Lord to be over this place. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, this church is going to be around here a lot longer than me. I'm going to be dead and gone. This church right here is still going to be serving the Lord. And many of us here in this place, what we're doing here today is this is a big deal. It ain't about us. It's about Him. It's about His glory. It's about the work He's going to do generation after generation in this place. Are you hearing me? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will turn 
uh, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their land. I will hear them. I will see them. You have my heart. You have my heart. Can our musicians come on up? I want to invite our worship team to come on up for a minute. Many of you um, probably know that I don't carry my phone on Sundays, ever. But this Sunday, I'm just going to take another moment of personal privilege. I'm going to celebrate that y'all are here, and I'm just going to take a big old panoramic shot. All right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I want to smile. I want to raise your hands. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at that. That's right. Well, you know what? I'm sure that Solomon didn't do a selfie. I'm going to do a selfie. Though. Hey. Hey, where am I? I can't even. Oh, let me turn that thing around. Hey. That's awesome. Check that out. One, two. Hey. I don't even hardly know how to do a selfie. All right. So in the next few minutes as we sing, um, as we sing, this worship team right here is, is going to lead us in a, in a, in a prayer, okay? And I'm going to invite you to sing with your heart. And you're just going to stay seated, okay? You're going to sing with your heart. And then that music is going to kind of pull down. It's a prayer of consecration where we're going to be singing. And I've asked some very um, uh, strategic folks, leaders in our church, to pray at different places. We're going to have folk pray about the doors as people come into this church. And another, folk, another person is going to pray about... Uh, us as we leave this church to go serve the world. Another person is going to pray over this altar. Another person is going to pray over this baptismal font. Another person is going to pray over the word that's going to be preached over this place for years to come. And, and we're just going to, we're going to agree in with prayer with them as we consecrate this space to the Lord, okay? And, and let me also add a couple more things. This is a time of prayer, a very holy time of prayer. We've come here today for this very moment. And so if, if it would... Uh, if it would bless you, if it would be honorable to you, maybe some folks would just come and gather around the altar here. Maybe they would just come on and fill up the altar and pray at this altar. If you want to come and just pray at the altar, I invite you. Come on, kneel here at this altar. Be, you can pray from that place. It would be awesome. I want it full. I'm going to ask somebody to come. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'll wait. Thank you, Sandy. Come on. Thank you, Anthony. Come on. Yeah. Thank you. And then the other last instruction that I want to give you this morning is that here at Harvest Point, sometimes we play, pray with our eyes closed, but sometimes we pray with our eyes wide open, okay? This might be one of those moments you can do. You feel free to have, pray however you want to, okay? We're going to talk with the Lord, and we're going to ask for the Lord's eyes and the Lord's ears to be on this place. Lord, in the next few minutes as we pray, we're consecrating, giving this space back to you for your kingdom gain for your kingdom advance and for your glory.